From outside the charred remains of a 3D technology warehouse, it's the IGN DigiGuys. So take off your thinking caps and please welcome two suspected arsonists, Mark Kaiser and Wade Major. All right, we are recycling, so uh, we've got until the end of the month, people. End of the month. Get your, your cool new intros in uh, by the end of the month at godsdigigods.com, and then we'll record them with Corey and make you all famous. Plug anything you want. you got a website. you got a business. you got a plumbing supply company. Whatever it is that you want to plug, go ahead and plug it. Plug it. We'll, we'll plug it for you with your intro. A plumbing supply company. Send us Vox boxes. Send us emails. Uh, go to the Facebook page. Participate in the, uh, what, what did we say last week happened on the Facebook page? We cured cancer. Is that what I said? Yes. Yes, then we cured cancer. We did. It's the latest discussion on the Facebook page. Uh, we didn't get around to any uh, listener mail last week. We ran out of time because we had we spent too much, I guess, on the... Uh, and Mark's taking calls during the show again. I'm not. No, I'm letting it go. I had no idea it was so popular. Oh, jeez. I'm letting it go to voicemail. All right, fine. Anyway, um, Mark, why don't, we, why don't we just jump right in because I want to get to listener mail. Let's, let's cover some television and then we'll do listener mail. Shall we do that? Fine, wait, Good. fine, wait. Okay, uh, a couple years ago there was a, uh, a film by a director uh, and writer named Armando Iannucci. Yeah. And this film was called... Star Wars. <laughs> no, it wasn't. That's, that's crazy. I know, that's your joke. Uh, it was I'm called In the Loop. It. In the Loop was an absolutely, unbelievably hilarious, profane, brilliant, pointed, satirical take on politics, mostly British politics, although obviously there's America involved because America's involved in all politics in the world. Um, But In the Loop was unbelievably, awesomely, brilliantly, satirically hilarious. And I, I, I demand that our listeners stream or rent In the Loop. But... Anyway, what I'm saying is that uh, Iannucci, uh, his new creation is much more Americanized. It's called Veep, and on Blu-ray is the first season of Veep, which aired as an original HBO series. Um, this stars Julia Louis-Dreyfus as the, uh, let's say, as the uh, vice president, a female vice president, and all the crazy stuff that happens from that. Now, um, I think the show is pretty funny. I, I think that, I don't know that it has all the pointed satire that in the loop had i mean in the loop was just like was like just like vanilla extract just like extracted brilliance and satire in like an hour and 45 minutes this one has like an entire season arc it has to worry about so it's it it really kind of spreads the venom across uh you know x number of episodes so it's not quite as pointed but i still kind of like this show i think it's pretty good uh bonus features include uh behind the scenes i'm making of uh, a funny public service announcement, some deleted scenes and outtakes, audio commentaries with the cast and crew. Julie Louise Dreyfus, you know, I, she's a kind of lightweight. Here's the thing with Julie Louise yeah. Dreyfus. She's kind of mm-hmm. lightweight for this material. Yeah. I was never, not the hugest fan of hers. I, I don't feel she has a lot of depth to her acting. And I, I, she still seems very sitcom to me. But uh, I think she's fine in this. I wish it was somebody better. Somebody maybe like a kind of a – I'd rather have like a – for this role, I'd rather have a movie star coming down to HBO than a TV star going up to – than, than a TV sitcom actress going up to HBO. Sure. But that being said, she's what we have, and uh, and she did win an Emmy for it, so what the hell do I know? But uh, I like this, I like the show. Veep. V, V-E-E-P from nice. HBO. Uh, you know, I have to say one of the things that has happened with television in recent years, largely thanks to HBO and Showtime, is that we're getting all these really cool period series. And yes, Downton Abbey and BBC, that's always been a part of, of British television, all the legacy stuff, British history. But we, we've never, it's never been kind of part of the television vernacular in the United States. And now with the, what was the Jonathan Rhys Myers thing, Henry, we played Henry VIII very unconvincingly. Oh, it was, uh, uh, it was um, Henry VIII. Yeah, that thing. Uh, well, they, the, the Showtime response to that was the Borgias. And uh, i got to tell you, it's not great, but it's awfully cool. And uh, Jeremy Irons really just kind of, he kills it. He does. And if you don't know, the, you know, he... The Tudors. The Tudors, thank you. The Tudors, now we have the, the answer to the Borgias. The, the Borgias is... Um, is about the that famous, famous family. They call it, you know, the subtitle is the original crime family. And yes, the Godfather, 
for those who don't know, Francis Coppola basically used the Borgias, the Renaissance family of the Borgias, as the, the basis for the Corleones in, in Godfather. Now, that's not to say that Mario Puzo did when he wrote the book. That's to say that Francis Coppola did when he made the movie. That's what he was thinking of. So, uh, and you can tell when you watch the movie because The Godfather as a movie is much better than the book for that reason. Uh, the Borgias, of course, were just a legendary Renaissance family. I think well, it was something like three or four popes came from the Borgia family, and they just, they, they ruled, you know, they were like the ultimate family. They just By controlled the way, Europe. When it comes to the Pope, I can't believe that the Vatican elected a talking mule as the Pope. Uh, you know, I already made that joke on my Facebook page. What? I did. I posted a picture of Francis, the talking mule. I said, clearly this decision was not well vetted. <laughs> but, but apparently the, the name he's going with is Francisco. So don't say Francis. I mean, if he's Pope Francis... And it was funny on also on my Facebook page, on my Facebook page, um, Luke Thompson. The first thing he posted was that scene. I knew that was coming, Francis. <laughs> you touch my is it Francis? You, you touch my stuff? N- yes, it was from stripes. It, no, not not stripes. What? No, no. He posted this scene from from Pee Wee's Big Adventure where Francis wants to buy Pee Wee's bike. It's not for sale, Francis. It's very, it's very fun. everything's for sale, Pee Wee. No, he goes lighten the and then uh, oh, Francis he goes. My name is Francis from Stripes. They call me Psycho. You touch my stuff, I'll kill you. Yeah, that's. <laughs> and then and then uh, and then what's his name? Uh, uh, you know the tough guy actor uh, War Notes says lighten up, Francis. You know what? If somebody out there has enough time, and we don't because we're busy as hell, and I've got a baby. But if somebody out there has enough time, just sit around and dig up all those, all that footage and make a mashup of every Francis line in every movie. And include, please, if you could, some uh, some references from Chips where uh, where the father of Captain Kirk says uh, Francis to you know because that's Poncho, Poncho's original. You are, name. Out, you are out of Francis your Poncharella. GD mind. I am, aren't I? Uh, Captain Kirk's dad. You like that Robert Pine reference to Chris Pine? Who plays? It's a, it's a little thing I just did. I did an equitweeze. <laughs> I did an equitweeze. You call those equitweezes? I haven't said that in years. I know. I know, but I just said it. So there we go. Uh, the Borgias, the, the listeners right now, their minds are sputtering. They're short-circuiting. They have no idea. No, our minds are sputtering and short-circuiting. <laughs> That's the problem. So the Borgias, the original crime family, Showtime. It's good. It's it's good. Uh, and it's a little a little, a little bit soapy, but I, uh, I'll i take it. It's a period show, and I really love it. It's a renaissance on television, and uh, and that's cool. And that goes, frankly, for Rome and for Spartacus as well. I love all that stuff. It's it's. I'm glad it's – I don't you know love watching all of it, but I'm glad it's there. So there you go. Good stuff. And then uh, let's see. You know what, Mark? I'm going to uh, – just to – I'm going to dig here into the pile. And just to annoy you, because you insist that this is not canon, I'm going to talk about Star Trek Enterprise Season 1 on Blu-ray. Lame. Uh, Why would you say this is not canon? This is great. It's got the guy from uh, Quantum Leap in it. I know. You see, it's just (laughs) horrible. You know what? Uh, this is this is this was an interesting idea that didn't. I didn't fully... mind the idea. I did not. I thought, oh, that's interesting. All right. So when the, when now it's all new, it's fresh, it's a little bit closer yeah. to our time. We can maybe uh, get, get engaged in, in, in a fresher way. Absolutely, but it didn't happen. It, well, it, it it was an interesting idea, and I still think it is partially interesting. I think it's conceptually partially okay. Uh, at least they're trying hard. This is uh, Scott Bakula plays Captain Jonathan Archer. In the one Star Trek series that was supposed to sort of uh, harken back to the origins of the Federation when we had first discovered uh, Vulcans and when, you know, everything was a little bit rougher, a little bit more raw, and it's sort of the, the seeds of what would become the original Star Trek series. And so they really do try to pay homage more to the original series in, in a lot of ways than, uh, than the other series like Next Generation and Deep Space Nine and all that stuff. So and Voyager, I like Voyager too. I really do. Really? So yeah, I like Voyager. There's Star Trek and the Star Trek: The Next Generation. Forget the rest of them. No, nah, Voyager's good. And a lot of people still love Deep Space Nine. You know, Whatever. they really do. With the, with the, with, the, with those those crazy big guys with the weird teeth, Ferengis or the Kardashians, whatever, what, what, Card- what, what, whatever they're called. <laughs> the Kardashians. You know what? The problem the is, that, is that at, at, at that point in in the history of the, of the entire franchise, there was just too much Star Trek. Yeah. I mean, stop it. Well, you had like overlapping movies with the old cast, and here comes the new cast, and you got Voyager. And you got this. It's like you know what they overdid. It. They it's going to be a few years before they actually they... burned out. They actually kind of burned people out on on Star Trek. They did. There were too many series at once. And the Nemesis Nemesis killed the movie series yeah. for a while, and now it's been relaunched. Uh, there will be there will be another Star Trek TV series at some point, um, but it's going to be a while. They got uh, they got to they, they got to let the JJ series of movies run its course. 
So that being said, um, I, I think it's fine. I don't think it's horrible. And uh, it's on Blu-ray. It's good transfer. They did a good job. People over at uh, Paramount and CBS. And uh, a few extras, you know, feature-ready stuff, documentary stuff. It's all behind-the-scenes stuff. Uh, much of it in high def, which is nice. Um, I really appreciated that, especially the uh, the to boldly go launching Enterprise doc. It's all in, in beautiful high def. So it's nice to get the featurette stuff in high def. Yeah, there it is for fans, for kids. That's a reference to last week when we talked about Hudsucker Proxy. Get it? For kids. Um, Hudsucker Proxy reference. Yeah. For kids. Yeah. About the, you know, the Frisbee. Yeah. Okay. God, I played frisbee right. in years. Go. Uh, Wade, there's a, uh, you know, the Japanese, they're crazy. Those are crazy people. Anyway, in the uh, late 60s, uh, one of those classic tokusatsu shows, which is kind of like what the Japanese call, uh, you know, their superhero shows, it was called Giant Robo. And much like... Oh, Jimisako. Uh, and much like uh, Haim Saban did with the Power Jimisako. Rangers. Stop that. Much like uh, Haim Saban did with the Power Rangers, uh, this guy, Ruben Guberman, took like, you know, about 26 episodes of Giant Robo, and he turned them over and dubbed them into English and called them Johnny Sacco and his Flying Robot. And right now on Blu-ray, or I'm sorry, on DVD, from the good people at Shout... You can actually get four discs. Four discs. <laughs> wow. Freudian, sl- you can get Freudian four, slip. You can get four dicks worth of <laughs> Johnny Sago and his flying robot. Oh, I wish we – oh, outtakes. If only that If only that were an outtake. That oh, could... that's, that's by far the worst one I've ever done. We've done like 300 episodes of this show. That's by far the worst one. I had a terrible one on Stupid for Movies a couple of years, like a couple of years ago. I had a horrible one on Stupid for Movies. It was pretty funny. Uh, anyway, okay, that was pretty bad. But we know, you know how you notice how I'm not saying stop the recording. Yes, I hear I'm you. I'm willing to live with it. Look. Because I'm that guy. There are four guys named Richard on this show. That is true. Yes. If not, we'll just pretend there are. Anyway, uh, Johnny Sacco and his flying robot uh, was recreated uh, from the bones of the giant robo show in Japan. And look. You know what you're getting. You're getting just ridiculous rubber monsters like Globar and uh, Ligon and Gangar and Emperor Guillotine. Yeah, Emperor Guillotine. He was awesome. So either you like this stuff or you don't. I mean, the giant robot has, you know, flying missiles that come out of his fingers and this big V on his chest that launches, you know, like this like ram that kind of, you know, forces enemies back. He's got a flamethrower. You know, it's uh, cool. Um, It's for kids. And uh, you know what you're getting. It's cheesy. It's low budget. It's ridiculous. But there it is. Johnny, it's total kitsch, by the way. At this point, that's kitsch. You know, of all the versions of Les Miserables that have ever been done, the one that uh, I, I just, I was most kind of fascinated by and, and perplexed by is this uh, Fox Family Channel production from last year, uh, which, I don't, you know, it's, you just got to kind of wonder. They knew that, that the big musical was coming, which was released last week. And uh, yet they went ahead and did this, and it's such a strange. It's like on the surface, you you think, oh well, this this should totally this is this should rock. What a but then you go, wait a minute, that doesn't make any sense. Um, Gerard Depardieu playing Jean Valjean. You couldn't find anyone less like um, Hugh Jackman on the planet, and uh, Javert played by John Malkovich, which who just plays it totally crazy like he always does. And uh, Cosette, played by Virginie Lidoyenne, and, um, you know, then you even have Aja Argento showing up in this thing, and Charlotte Gainsbourg shows up in this thing, and it just, it's a, it's like a lot of great actors who just seem to have said, yeah, sure, I'll do that for a few days, and uh, it never really takes flight. Jeanne Moreau even shows up. Um and uh, the most tragic part of all of this is that this also features uh, Guillaume Depardieu, who, of course, is now dead. And uh, I, I uh, find that all very, very tragic. Uh, and, it, and it detracted substantially from my ability to actually judge this thing objectively. So, I don't know, it's just an odd, misbegotten, strange adaptation. It's not bad, but it just if you've seen any of the other adaptations, you just kind of go, I don't know why. It's, it's like you got a lot of great ingredients, and you put them on the stove and didn't really cook them properly, and then it, it kind of becomes a half-baked stew. Does that make sense? No. Okay, never mind. Uh, Wade, you know we talk about the Sci-Fi Channel shows and how they're all from Canada, which yeah. means that when like stuff like this that's from Canada is like a little bit like the weird, slightly retarded, but well-meaning uncle of like a normal person. Yeah. Well, now we have Continuum. Uh. Season one of Continuum, which is on the Sci-Fi Channel. Uh, this show, uh, I, I, I skimmed it. I, I just don't get it. It's uh, one of those 
future shows takes place in like the year 2075 and these terrorists wind up going back in time to 2012 uh, to wreak havoc and they are followed by a cop from 2075 and she winds up joining the Vancouver police force to help track the terrorists and keep them in line. Mm-hmm. Kind of like Looper. Got it. A film, by the way, I loved. Looper. You know what? Don't, don't, don't rent Continuum. Don't think about Continuum. Don't read about Continuum. Go rent Looper. Okay. That's all I'm saying about Continuum. You know, there's a Nickelodeon series called H2O, Just Add Water. And uh, I used to think that Nickelodeon was a show, was like, it was a network for kids, right? Um, now we've got this Nickelodeon show, which has these, like, nubile mermaids. I'm on I'm board. I'm, I'm thinking, Nick's, Nick's skewing a little older. And I realized Nickelodeon has been around long enough for the kids who were five and six when they were watching it, at least the boys, to now be 15, 16, 17, right? Oh, I think that, Nickelodeon's been around longer than that, no? They're trying to, well, certainly longer, but I'm just saying, it's they're, they're realizing that they want to hang on to their original audience. They don't want them migrating over to the CW. It, it launched, get this. Okay, I, I just it's like it. 1994. No, get this, interesting. It launched as something called the Pinwheel Network in 1977, and then launched as Nickelodeon in 1979. You're kidding. And I think what, what we consider... Um, the cable Nickelodeon. What we consider the Nickelodeon Nickelodeon is when MTV bought it. That's it. In 1985. There you go. Then it became like, kind of like Nickelodeon. Well, anyway, these are from uh, the Flatiron Film Company by way of a uh, new video. And we've got seasons one, two, and three of H2O Just Add Water with these. Uh, it's sort of like, what's the, what's the TV show, uh, the, the, be, the Bedazzled or with the, with the Witches? The, the, CW. Yeah, the, not the CW, but the, the, the Three Witches, you know. Huh? The, the show with the Three Witches, the, 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 the friggin' cable show, the three What act- the hell are you talking about? You know, the three actresses that are all with. Oh, I gosh. don't. I really have no Shannon, idea. Shannon Doherty and. Oh, uh, we, um yeah, that one. <laughs> Don't stop the recording. I know. Anyway, it's Charmed. Like, Charmed, thank you. Well, that was you. the WB. It was not on WB. That was WB, and then it became the CW, and I, we lose track of all that crap. we got too much in our brains. So anyway, this is like, this is like the, uh, the mermaid version of that, except skewed for tweeners. And I just find the whole thing uh, surprisingly titillating, to be honest. It's a little bit like Saved by the Bell with fins. But, uh, you know, I, I took a look at a few of these episodes. They, they, they seem decent enough. I mean, it's, it's obviously skews very, uh, like, I'd shoot myself if I actually had to write an episode of a show like this, no matter how much money they pay you, uh, because it's very, very cloying. But I guess if you're trying to sort of hang on to your nubile teenage audience and you don't want them migrating to the CW, sure, why not? Mermaids, go for it. Wade, I have two words for you when it comes to old cable channels. And living in Los Angeles, I have two words for you. One of yes, those words. What are those words? One of those words only has one letter in it. You ready? Uh, yes. Z Channel. Oh, the best. And what a great documentary too. Which I saw in Cannes, by the way. I know. It's a great film. With, Tar- with Tarantino in, in, in attendance, along with uh, the uh, director. There you go. Uh, I'm going to talk about a fascinating bit of television right now from a new company, and 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 this is a great new company. I am thrilled that they are there. They are going to be releasing some awesome stuff. You know, um, a lot of people have heard of Borgen, which is like, it's this Danish television series. It's been called, it's, it's a little bit, um, well, the, the, the quote that's on, that they use on the packaging from June Thomas of Slate is it calling it the Danish West Wing. Um, but it is, it's better than the West Wing. It really, it's an incredible television uh, drama that got into all of the, the, the nuts and bolts and the grit of Danish politics. And if you don't think Danish politics is as interesting as anybody else's politics, you're wrong. It is amazing how interesting this is. And uh, it is a gripping, gripping show. Uh, this is about 10 hours worth on four DVDs from Megahertz. That's MHZ Networks. And uh, this is a new company. And this is season one. And it is just absolutely outstanding. Now, uh, they also claim this is from the producers of The Killing, which I was not aware of. I was not aware that there was any, uh, any crossover there. But this is a first-rate show, great acting, really well-written, really, really well shot. And it kind of blows you away to realize that this caliber of television can be done in other countries. Because it used to be that it was so expensive to do hour-long drama, to do really good, high-quality drama in other countries, with the exception of the U.K., that they just sort of relied on American television. I mean, that's how American television became so preeminent. But um, it's uh, it, now now you're getting this first-rate stuff all over, and a lot of really interesting stuff that they, they're also going to be coming out from uh, from megahertz. Um, the original Wallander, you know, which has been redone in English before, 
and uh, a lot of other interesting titles. So um, MHZ, which is a Washington, D.C.-based company, is uh, they're, they're coming out big with, with Borgen in Season 1. I cannot wait for Season 2. Uh, it's really, really cool. Looking forward to it. Also looking forward to uh, something that they're plugging here, the Young Montalbano, which is a uh, some kind of a detective show with a guy who looks, uh, you know, he's got that real kind of kind of Euro Euro dude look, right? <laughs> douche. Yeah, yeah, we call it douche. <laughs> we call it douchebag. So anyway, Borgen season, for sure. Borgen season one, some of the best uh, political television you're ever going to see from a great new company. So looking forward to more stuff from them. Mark, shall we do listener mail? <laughs> Listener mail. Oh, I don't have a song for that. I know you don't. I know you don't. But uh, I'm just going to read some because we didn't get to the mail last week. Didn't get to the mail Wade's last fault. week. That's yeah, all my fault. I'm I'm bad dude. What can I say? I'm a bad dude. You is uh, from Walter Gass. Uh, a couple of things. Love J.J. Abrams. Think he's a great director. Mission Impossible Three was a great movie, and his take on Star Trek was excellent fun. Not to mention that the pilot of Lost was one of the best pilots of the last ten years. Also, the whole Star Wars hates Star Trek fan things is old thinking. Everyone I know likes both, and it's not an either-or proposition. I think J.J. will make a great Star Wars movie, certainly better than the last three we got. You know, uh, my I, wa- I will say that J.J. will make a better Star Wars film than the three that Lucas made. My wife was reading something yesterday. It was like some online joke that Michael Haneke was going to direct Star Wars 7. Did you hear this? It's very strange. That's yeah, obvious. It'd be cool, though. Obvious right? joke. Yeah. And Jared Crowley from uh, Dublin, Ireland. Gare. I love it. Gare. I, I, I would do, try to do that with I'd try to do that with my Irish accent, but my, my forebears, my, uh, my, my grandfather McAtee would come down and haunt me. Uh, he says, um, Disney been releasing some good catalog titles lately with varying degrees of quality, and that's gotten my hopes up for Quiz Show. Maybe they'll get it right if they do put it out on Blu-ray. Here's hoping. By the way, I listened to your review of Flight on the podcast and wonder what you thought of the opening scene. There's as much nudity in that single scene as there is in all of Killer Joe. It even gives shame a run for its money. I was not expecting that in a Robert Zemeckis film, and it felt very out of place, almost to the point of distraction. What did you guys think? Well, you know, here's the thing is that you can't really look at it in terms of who's directing it. You've got to look at it in terms of what we need to know about the character at that time. And what we need to know about the character at that time is that he sleeps with his coworkers who run around naked and he, and he does coke. coke and that's what that's, that's the character. It, yeah. So they're setting up what this character is all about. I, I am glad that Zemeckis stretched and went in that direction and I, uh, I hold out hope that maybe this motion capture thing is done now that that all went bust and belly up and that he sticks with this. I agree. I, I it was great to see him back. Yeah. Kyle Stevens. Okay, there's a, here's a question for you. We Americans always get a rap for being ultra-violent and gratuitous, yet I saw the original European version of Taken starring Liam Neeson, which is way more violent than the U.S. Scenes like the electrocution torture and the shooting of the French agent's wife were edited down. In the Euro version, you see the tortured guy shaking and writhing with sweat spurting all over. The U.S. version had that cut. Truth be told, the scene, uh, the larger scheme, uh, truth be told, in the larger scheme, uh, in all its points... Um, that being said, if I saw the U.S. version first, I would have had a much lower opinion of the film. The impact of revenge is diminished. Why did they cut it down, especially if Americans are so brutal and violent? Um, the answer, frankly, is because they had to get a PG-13. And, that, and that's it. It's, it's cut down. You know, the PG-13, I said this years ago when the PG-13 uh, happened, it's going to be a bad thing because everyone is going to start taking their R-rated movies and they're going to uh, just just whittle them down just enough to squeeze into that PG-13. So you're going to carve out the lower end of R rather than carving out the higher end of PG. And really what's happened, when was the last time a movie rated PG came out? PG-13 has literally displaced PG. So we don't have PG movies anymore. We have G, which are usually animated, and then we have PG-13 movies, and then we have R-rated movies. So now it's pretty much everything is R. It's just a softer R. I think it's a bad move, and that's the reason. Otherwise, it would have been, would have been R. If we still had PG and R, and they knew there was no chance of ever squeezing that movie into a PG-13 rating, it would be R. It would be the original version. Um, uh, what chance do you? This is from Eric Altieri. What chance do you think there is of Warner Brothers releasing a mega box set of all the Super Friends cartoons? That I would love to have. Zonkers, Wendy. That's my best Marvin impression. You like that, Mark? You know, uh, there was Zonkers, a thing, Wendy. A, we know nothing about that That's right now. It's called Super Friends. There was a funny Family Guy bit, a show that you don't seem to like, even I though know. you love it. Called uh, they, they did a bit called the Mexican Super Friends. Oh. <laughs> I can't tell you what it's like because you don't deserve to know. Because you don't. Uh, like that it. is actually kind of funny. Well, but you don't know what the gag is. I won't tell you the gag. Okay. You don't get to know. Fine. Because you don't like that show, even though you would love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't understand. 
Chevelle Dixon writes and says, just want to say three things. One, congrats to Wade and his wife on their new baby. Thank you. And Wade, I'm sure you'll make a great father and your wife a great mother. Oh, don't be so sure. <laughs> we, we, we tend to, when people give us plants, they're dead within 10 days. So we're already ahead of the curve. Uh, two, sorry about Box Office Magazine and now that Mark is out of a job. Um, at least Mark can now focus all his attention on cooking. Three, Pete Hammond gets blurbed on everything. How is it almost every week when you talk about a new release with a blurb, it's almost always Hammond? Nothing wrong with that, just an interesting observation. Um, you know, here's why. Because a lot of critics out there solicit blurbs, and there is a uh, there are a few places online where you can uh, you just do blurb whore, and uh, you'll come up with some very interesting uh, annual lists of the, the most shameless critics who go out and solicit this stuff. And... It, it kind of works into the marketing feed of the studios where if they know there's a critic who wants to be blurbed, they can call them up and go, oh, can you give us a quote? Because it'll be in the ad. And there's this understanding. It's like, oh, yeah, here, you just say uh, Pete Hammond who writes for, uh, you know, Shmomo Momo. Um, you know, lo- best movie I've ever seen in my entire life. And the, and the, the studios will put it in the ad and there it goes. And it's uh, it's really utterly and completely shameless. But there is this understanding, and there are a lot of and there is rumor. There have been rumors in the past that certain critics took kickbacks, i.e., payola, in order to do this. So, um, and then uh, we also have an email from uh, Kyle Stevens. Very interesting. Says. Um, I honestly think 1989's original Bloodsport starring Jean-Claude Van Damme is the greatest movie ever made. When I was a kid, 10 or 11 years old, I was obsessed with that movie along with the original Kickboxer, also starring Jean-Claude Van Damme, and Tremors starring Kevin Bacon. I rented those videos every weekend in rotation. Van Damme was my hero and idol. I have no idea why I felt the urge to write this email, but I was thinking about it and wanted to tell you guys, whatever happened to Canon Pictures, the makers of Kickboxer and Bloodsport? Uh, Canon sort of disintegrated after they tried to make uh, more serious movies. That was Menachem Golan and Yoram Globus. Um, it's a rather long and, and uh, convoluted story about how they went bankrupt in the early 90s. Um, but if you go onto Wikipedia and look for the Canon Group with two N C A N N O N, it's the whole story is there, and it is absolutely fascinating. And the Wikipedia page, which can Wikipedia can be inaccurate and sometimes uh, you know skewed by the people who whose interests are best served by it, this one is really spot on accurate, very very well done. Uh, as for Bloodsport, I love Bloodsport as well. I don't know Mark's feelings, uh, but Frank Dukes, whose real story in, in Bloodsport is very interesting. I uh, he and I once dated the same woman. True story. I, uh, I won't go into any details. Um, but uh, the, the reality of uh, Frank Dukes right now is actually somewhat, somewhat sad. And uh, it's not, not terribly public, but uh, he has had health problems. And um, I honor him, and I recommend anyone else honor him by watching Bloodsport. Because it's, uh, even though a lot of people challenge the truth in Bloodsport, it, it's still a great movie. And I don't care if there was a kumite or if it was exactly the way it's depicted in the movie. I love it. So what? Come on. Who cares if it really happened or didn't happen? It's a movie. I know. I know. Stop thinking that things that happened in real life uh, should be uh, blah, blah. I know. And uh, that's it for Listener Mail. We're good. Listener Mail. Ooh, that could be the new theme song. What? Listen, oh, Listener no. Mail. How come someone doesn't send us one? You know what? Send us at gods.digigods.com the Listener Mail theme song. It should be less than five seconds. Less than five seconds. And something that Mark can sing. No. Then, no, no. It would be, it would be something we oh, roll something into we the actually, show. Something we actually drop in. Yeah, we drop oh. it in the show. Then, then we'd be like a professional show. That's right. And, and you know what? I, I, I take that back. Don't send it in. We cannot be a professional show. No, send it in. Gods at digigods.com. Less than five seconds. Listener mail theme song. All right. I'm putting it out there. Very good. The best one we will use. All right, time to get into um, movies. You know, like like old movies and new movies. Not not a lot of new stuff. All the big guns came out last week. Uh, a few things that are trickling in for next week, but uh, we, we mostly classic stuff. And actually, there's there's a few interesting little things I'm going to talk about here in a second. But Mark, get us get us get us rolling on uh, on this long awaited. Well, you know, there have been a million trillion quadrillion versions of the Terminator and Terminator Two on Blu-ray. Ironically, not many versions of Terminator Three or Terminator Salvation, since no one likes those. But um, now we finally have in a one big beautiful box Blu-ray set Terminator Anthology. And I realize as I'm looking at this that it's a whole lot of work for a quadrilogy that really only resulted in two good films. You know, so, I, don't, I'm, I don't dislike the last two. I don't. Really? I don't really. I, 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 I like them. I think it all kind of fits together. I, 
but you do you know. want to really revisit them? You know, I can't wait. Like Terminator, which by the way was remade. There, there, there is a single disc, brand new version of Terminator, which I yeah. have. Yeah. The original Terminator yeah. that finally looks decent. Yes. So that you can get. Yes. Um, and that's on this collection. Terminator Two has come out a thousand different times, and oh, you know, so many different cuts of that. Right. Term- Cameron couldn't make his mind up. He really couldn't. And uh, if you have any, I mean, if you really care. And you have those uh, those DVD releases. They're never coming out on Blu-ray, by the way, those other cuts. I mean, he had like two different director's cuts before he finally came out with his definitive director's cut. And they're all different by between two and four minutes. And if you have any of those, one of which came in kind of a swanky uh, aluminum slip cover, um, hang on to them, you know, because I'm sure they'll be worth something someday. Probably. It is funny because The Terminator is a great example of, of creative low-budget filmmaking, whereas Terminator 2 is a great example of creative big-budget filmmaking. Yeah, true. Very true. You know, and then 3 and 4, uh, you know, I, I guess I enjoyed some of them, um, but I just think that you're spending a lot of money on the anthology for four films, two of which you'll revisit, two of which you won't, that you probably own anyway. So what can I tell you? I mean, there's a fifth disc here. Uh, with a bunch of stuff on it. That's always kind of nice. But ultimately, you know, come on. I just think, I'm hoping that this is the final word on Terminator Blu-rays. Because when it comes to the next film, that's still up in the air. So this is all we got. So if you already own the four previous films already, you don't really need this. Although I will say that there was a brand new updated uh Terminator uh, Blu-ray that came out a couple weeks ago that does have a good new transfer. Make that one happen. I don't know that you need all this. Uh, now I'm going to make some interesting comments on some some gun movies. Thanks for taking more calls, Mark. While the, while the show's I'm going. not answering them. <laughs> the, the, this is what I find really interesting. Is is there's a there's a whole kind of advertising motif that becomes epidemic sometimes. And I'm going to show you some interesting things. Now, the two movies I'm going to talk about, well, there's, there's four movies I'm going to make mention before I get into something much more interesting. Uh, Easy Money, which is a Swedish uh, crime thriller about a guy, you know, who should know better, gets lured into crime. And then this movie, Standoff, which is, uh, is a heist-gone-wrong movie set in, uh, in Ireland with, uh, with Call Meany. And they throw they shoehorn Brendan Fraser in there as, as an American hostage for, for absolutely no reason whatsoever other than to just say, because Brendan Fraser needs a job, I guess. But look at the cover of both of these. I mean, isn't the, isn't this fascinating? Isn't that interesting? Well, no, look. Here's it's, the like the, it's like the, almost the same thing. Everybody, there are so many movies whose one sheet or cover art has like the really macho side-glancing dude that's with, it. holding the gun. But that's it. The side-glancing dude holding the gun. And one, it's Brendan Fraser with Colmini behind him. And then the other one, it's uh, it, it's this uh, Joel Kinnaman who's on The Killing. Uh, now, by the way, Joel, Kin- you, you, you realize who Joel Kinnaman is. Joel Kinnaman is starring in the lead of the remake of RoboCop. Oh, is he really? Yes. That guy is yes. playing RoboCop? That is correct. He's stepping into the Peter Weller shoes? That is correct. Screw him. That is correct. Oh, that sucks. And by the oh, way, I, 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 and, and now, now I, I've heard nothing recently, but Wade, try to um, hold, uh, hold your laughter when I say this, but supposedly the remake uh, yeah. is in a bit of trouble. Well, I'm sure it is. Not very now, good here's reshoots. My, here's my other example of this. We have two two more movies, which are both just you know cheesy straight-to-video uh, action movies with people whose careers pretty much have been relegated to this. Uh, one is with uh, David Morris and Martin Donovan. Uh, it's called Collaborator. And the other one is Danny Glover and Michael Madsen, Sins. They Look at those covers. Same thing. Same thing, right? It's, it's like called, the guy with the gun and then a big slash in the middle with the title of the movie and then another guy below them. Yes, big head on top, big head on bottom. Name big of movie slash in the middle. In the middle. It's fascinating, well, isn't it? When you see this, but it's all just straight. It's you know, it's all straight I to know. video, straight to DVD, uh, uh, AFI type stuff. I know, but it's just it's fascinating to me that they they all kind of lean on the same. It's not going to make your box stick out. It's going to make it look like all the other movies that do the same thing. Well, but if you well see, but they assume a they assume safe is good, which of course is really stupid. Um, and they assume that if you're browsing Blockbuster, which doesn't exist anymore, yeah. that you will see like a big explosion and like an intense looking dude with a with a gun. You go, oh, that looks like fun. All that right, looks like fine. escapist entertainment for a couple of hours. Good deal. So now, Mark, this is the uh, this is the movie that I want us to talk about for just a second here because uh, you and I had interesting reactions to this. Killing them softly. I do like this film. I do too. 
And uh, it's out on Blu-ray and DVD. Uh, really spectacular looking on Blu-ray, i got to say. I am a big fan of Andrew Dominic, who directed it, who previously did... Um, That's how his name suggests. James Bay Cameron Yep. And uh, Andrew Dominic, you know, well, he his, his actually, the Australian film... Um, not uh, not the proposition. That's the other guy. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, no. It was the, it's the one with the the, the, hang the on, chopper. I'm, chopper. That's it. yeah, right. He that was his big kind of breakthrough, and then he came and he did uh, assassination assassination of Jesse so James by the coward Robert Ford, which was my favorite film of that year. I thought it was outstanding. I think he's an amazing director. I think he's so 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 talented. And this was such a strange kind of minor follow up to Jesse James. I was I was like really you're gonna I mean you should be just kind of using even though it didn't do well you should be springboarding yourself to like big stuff like really big but, Oscar caliber things. Here's the thing though, for a guy like that, what is big stuff? He's not gonna he's not gonna direct Transformers four. No, you know he's not gonna direct like a nice little uh, indie uh, romance. No, this is sort of what he does. I guess I, I don't know what the upside in terms of in terms of big studio films, what the upside. Is for him, which, by the way, doesn't mean he'll have a bad career. He's a great director; he'll have a terrific career. But in terms of like what we now equate big directing careers to be, yeah. which is that you start small and you direct, uh, you know, big budget sequels. True. I don't don't know that that's where he's going to go. Well, really, re- I'm going to say the Blu-ray is spectacular. This is an Anchor Bay release. This is a Weinstein Company theatrical release. Anchor Bay on Blu-ray and DVD, and uh, beautifully shot by Greg Fraser, who is an Australian cinematographer who all who did not only just do our friend Matt's film um, "Let Me In," but he uh, he also did um, Star Wars. No, he did he did Zero Dark Thirty, okay. uh, which you know he should have. It should have been a close contender for an Oscar for that because that's a hell of a movie. Oh, Just yeah. a hell of a well-shot movie. Talked about that last week. Uh, Greg Fraser, great DP, and his work here is so cool, and it's so different, really. Zero Dark Thirty is all handheld and kind of, you know, sort of very urgent, and this is very precise. Dominic likes those locked-off shots. They're really well-composed. Some of them really long shots, long takes, and it's it's just it's a really good looking movie, and it's gonna it looks fantastic on Blu-ray. It's really first rate. Um, the movie itself is just all kind of crime politics, and it's really interesting that way because it's very static. It's a lot of people talking about doing a lot of things, and when they finally do those things, they totally go wrong. And then the rest of the movie is a lot of people talking about how we're going to fix the things that went wrong. Well, there's there's a very strong parallel between what's going on in the film and the subtext, which yeah. is what's going on in this country. Yes. Regarding the finances and the government and the falling apart which, of our financial which, system. Which, which a lot of which transpires in the background, not quite so subtly on television. That's right. You know, so uh, so it, the movie is so the movie is not really about what it's telling you it's about. It's yeah. actually kind of about something else. Yeah. And those are always interesting films to watch. I and I thought it was really, but a lot of people just did not like this movie. They just felt it was odd and misbegotten and stillborn. And I think they're kind of missing the point. I mean, those scenes where Brad Pitt and um, Richard Jenkins are sitting in the car talking about how we're going to handle the situation. Those are hysterical scenes. If you feel like you should be laughing at those movies and you feel inappropriate, it's okay, laugh. Because it's funny where they're talking about, oh, you know, you can't do this. Well, why, why can't we do that? Because then we're going to this and this and this and this. And, the, and, they're, and all the, they're breaking the law regardless. But all the things that they have to take into account, uh, these are like real logistical challenges to people who are breaking the law. But they have this other code they have to respect. It's fascinating to me. I, I thought those scenes were so well written and delivered. I agree. And it's also about – a lot of those scenes are about outsourcing. Yeah. Because they're deciding exactly. they should That's bring it. in yes. somebody else to do the yes. killing or that he yes. should do it himself. Yes. So really it's about business. Yes. It's a business. And James Gandolfini, the worst the, the worst bit of outsourcing <laughs> yes. ever. I really think. you know Sam Shepard, what a great walk-on he does in this. I, I, I don't know whether they shot more with him and it got cut out. Uh, no, I don't He's think so. He's in like one shot. Yeah, one one continuous shot as he as they pan and he walks into the trailer and you hear all hell yes. breaking loose and they pans to the out and they get thrown. It's great stuff. I mean, really good stuff. It's a, I I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, you know, also I enjoy uh, Star Wars. A- Andrew Dominic, it, look if you're going to do what Robert Rodriguez does, do it like Andrew Dominic does in the billing block on the back. Take a look at that. Yeah, isn't that great? Everybody's name is normal credit bed <laughs> size, but then bam, Andrew Dominic, it's like three it's, times as tall. It's like, it's Although like the, you know what, look, if Robert Rodriguez had done that, you yeah. would say, "God damn that Robert Rodriguez that guy's a jerk." Of course, but Andrew Dominic does it, and you you, you sign on because I like him. <laughs> exactly, he's, he's my dude. You know, I, I I dig him, and I want his career to to go well. 
And then uh, really quickly, the last thing I'm going to make mention before Mark digs into this, the, the, the couple of films that he has a particular passion for. Yes! <laughs> awesome! Because I'm lame. Is, is uh, this really interesting Jean-Jacques Hannault film called Day of the Falcon, which um, this really kind of depresses me a little bit. And Jean-Jacques Hannault, when he goes really, when he goes smaller, like when he does The Lover and when he does, um, you know, Quest for Fire, stuff like that, he's always been very, very interesting. When he goes big and epic, like Seven Years in Tibet, he he gets sometimes a little too big for his britches, a little too melodramatic. And that's a part of the problem here. Um, um, but at the same time, this is a big movie that should have had some kind of uh, theatrical release promise. And uh, you could think of this really as kind of like the... Uh, the Hatfields and the McCoys of uh, Middle Eastern uh, oil families. You know, a, a really kind of a cool period piece about the, uh, you know, w- some of the politics behind today's uh, Middle Eastern oil empires. And uh, it's a little bit melodramatic and certainly uh, not uh, not the film that it should be. But at the same time, I mean, what a cast. It's got Antonio, Barras, uh, Antonio Banderas, Frida Pinto, Mark Strong... Um, high-powered European director like Jean-Jacques Hannault. It's very competently made. Um, a, a decent screenplay by um, uh, Menno Meiji's based on the novel The Great Thirst. I mean, Menno Meiji's wrote The Color Purple. I mean, the uh, the pedigree here should be marketable. So I don't know why nobody bothered to even give this film a shot in theaters. I mean, it, it's you know two hours and ten minutes long. It's not overly long. For an epic like this, it just should have had its shot. It should have been – somebody should have picked this movie up and put it into theaters, and they didn't. And I think that's a real disappointment. But anyway, it's on Blu-ray. If you have a big TV, you'll certainly get the most out of it. A smaller TV won't quite uh, quite give you the, the impact. But um, And there's a 40-minute documentary on it that's quite good, actually, The Making of Day of the Falcon. And then a bit on uh, storyboards and the effects. But otherwise, a movie that I think deserved better, and I'm very sad that it didn't get better. So try to give it a boost. At least rent it. Wait, there's a movie. Yes. Enough of this other stuff. Mm-hmm. Wait, let me tell you something. What? 1973, Wade. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. Is it, does it have Gene Hackman in it? I love Gene Hackman. But it has it has Yul Brenner and Richard Benjamin. Okay, I think I know what that one is. Westworld. I loved Westworld when I was a kid. It's the best. So here's the thing, Wade. You know Westworld. I do know Westworld. Wait, I for do, $1,000 yes. a day, you can go to a theme park called Westworld. There's like... Gunslingers. I'm waiting. Like for... Living in the old west, but Wade. Yes. You know the gunslingers are robots because it's in the future. You know that at some point they're going to remake this. And you know, Wade. Aren't they remaking it? It goes wrong. Something goes horribly wrong, Wade. Wasn't there? It... A, wasn't there a remake announced of this a couple of years ago? There's always there's a remake of everything. They they they, they finally they finally announced again a, a new remake of uh, Escape from New York. I know. Which would be terrible. Oh, gosh. Anyway, Westworld uh, was uh, written and directed by Michael Crichton, ladies yeah. and gentlemen. Michael Before Crichton. he started making absurd amounts of money for writing silly novels, which got made into movies by other people, and he figured, why am I trying to make movies? I'll just sit down and I'll just go, there are dinosaurs on an island. Here's a book. Pay <laughs> oh, me millions. On. Oh, made Michael Crichton, come on. Uh, hey, uh, Andromeda a, Strain? Yeah, I know. yeah. well, yeah, he, he wrote, that was he, when he wrote real books, but then he started writing, like, silly stuff. Come on, Jurassic Park is silly stuff. Well, it's it's like an airport it's, novel. It's Westworld with dinosaurs. Come on. Yeah, it goes things go wrong in a theme park. <laughs> Give me a break. Awesome, because you know, in uh, because they, then they wound up doing another one, which is also on Blu-ray. But by the way, we didn't say Westworld. These are from different com- these are from different companies. Uh, yes, well, yeah, Future World. They, I wonder if they coordinated this. Could be Future World, which is the 1975 sequel, uh, is is out from the good folks at Shout Factory, whereas. Um, Westworld is out from uh, Warner Brothers. Uh, that, they, they must have coordinated. I have no idea. All I know is that uh, Future World... Actually, you know what? Future World took a lot of crap when it came out because it was just, you know, another stupid sequel. But it's really kind of not that bad. It's uh, It's got a weird cast. It's got uh, Peter rec- Fonda, Blythe Danner. Yes. My recollection is that I liked Future World. Let me see these. My, really? uh, that I liked Future World a lot better, yeah. Oh, Westworld, come on, Gunslingers, Gunslinging Robots goes bad. You know, I actually had an idea for a third film that would have made a trilogy, but it didn't fly. It was it was called World World, where you go into this theme park where everything is exactly like what you just came away from. It was actually called Sequel World. Like, you, like literally, you walk into your own home, and it's just like the home that you live in, in the same place, and the same people. And, and, these, and there are these, these parents, your parents play your parents. It's called World World. They didn't and, like it. They didn't go for it. it was, I, I thought it was a great pitch. 
Anyway, I like Westworld. You know and what? I like Future I, World Less. I honestly had no. I had no, you, you would think that I would have known this of all people. And the 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 good good grief! Look at this. Did you know that Sam Arkoff produced uh, Future World? I had no idea. Sounds like something he'd do. Sam is uh, executive producer on this, but not on. Um, oh, look at that! But not on Westworld. But you know who did produce these films? That is hysterical. Uh, who? That is great. They even misspell his name on on Westworld. Oh my goodness, they misspelled it in the credit block, uh, the, the credit bit. Um, it's uh, producer Paul and Lazarus the third. They call him Pal and Lazarus. They left the U out of his name on the uh, the credit bit for uh, for um, uh, Westworld. But he's he's Paul Lazarus on uh, on Future World. So uh, <laughs> Pal Lazarus. No, do you know you know who that is? You know who that is, don't you? Oh, it's Mr. And Mrs. Lazarus. No, kid. he also he also produced um, World World. No, he also produced uh, the 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 friggin' Mars thing. Uh, the, 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 Spit it out. You know, Mars, it's all a hoax. Oh, War of the World. Thank, War of the World. No, Mars, the the, the, the O.J. Simpson. I'm oh, Capricorn blank. 1. Capricorn 1. Thing. Yeah, yeah, Capricorn 1 rules. Sleep deprivation. Baby sleep deprivation. Brain no recall. That's what's Capricorn going on. Capricorn 1. No, but do you know, awesome. who, you know who Paul Lazarus uh, was and is? Um, or, well, was. Mr. and Mrs. Lazarus's kid? Try again. You, you've listened to me on Film Week, right? No. You never listen to me on Film Screw, Week? I see you every week. Okay. Well, well, every once in a while when Larry Mantle can't host on Film Week, David Lazarus from the L.A. Times stands in. David oh, really? Lazarus, who's who does a, he has a, yeah, you know, yeah. I, I've guessed it on another movie show that he does in San Francisco on a radio station up there, and he's an L.A. Times financial columnist, right? He writes, he's like a consumer columnist, consumer affairs and stuff. But he's a big movie fan because Paul Lazarus' is dad. Really? Yeah, I did, yeah, that. He, I did he, not know. He, he, he used to joke all the time. He goes, yeah, yeah, my college was paid for by Capricorn One. <laughs> that movie put him through college. <laughs> That's brilliant. I had no idea that David's uh, dad was uh, was producer of these as well. I knew Capricorn One, but uh, Westworld and Future World, look at that. Now, what you didn't know is that, uh, and we'll probably never wow. see on DVD or Blu-ray or anything else, is that there was a TV show based on Westworld. Beyond oh, Westworld. I vaguely have a recollection. Well, I think it was canceled after only like a couple episodes. But anyway, so anyway, here's the thing. Westworld and Less Future World, uh, two good 70s sci-fi movies. They're pretty cool. Totally. totally. Very cheesy. It, you know, it, 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 it has those scores that go like, wow, wow, that's like the score, but it's yeah. so cool. Yeah, totally cool. Um, all right, we need, to, we need to go through, gosh, let's see, we've got a ton of stuff. You know, let me, let me blow through some Isn't of this. Is this show almost over, Wade? Yeah, we've got like 15 minutes left. So let me blow through a bunch of things really quickly here because we've got a lot of uh, great library titles. You want me to talk about these? No, no. Uh, we're going to split these in a second. Um, but um, uh, got to be kidding me. What? No, I'll, uh, the classical stuff I've already, I already watched almost all of. Okay. So I can talk about all that classical stuff. Yeah, we can. We can. Thank but you. but uh, more importantly, I want to blow through some of these. Uh, there's a lot of catalog titles on Blu-ray and a few uh, Warner Archive titles that are worth mentioning. Not, I don't want to get too much into it because the, you know, it's, everyone knows what these movies are and the quality issues are sort of uh, boilerplate. But um, a bunch of Miramax titles that uh, have now been released from Echo Bridge. These are all catalog titles. That's remember Miramax is contracted. To just blow out all of their uh, all their catalog stuff, mostly through Echo Bridge, uh, and um, we've got the shipping news, a movie which I thoroughly hate. Now, Lassie Hallstrom was the Miramax guy for a moment. You know, he was doing Chocolat and a whole bunch of other things and uh, Cider, Cider House, House Rules. Rules. And uh, this was this was another one of his little uh, pet projects for Harvey. It was a big deal book, and they got Kevin Spacey and Julianne Moore and Judy Dench and Kate Blanchett and Shipping News, and everyone loved the book. And Lassie Hallstrom, and somehow this whole thing just became this this just lugubrious, sloppy, nonsensical, self-important epic about nothing. And uh, boy, is this movie a misfire! But it's on Blu-ray for those who uh, have a real, uh, a real passion for it. And uh, apparently, somebody did at the Detroit News. They gave it four stars. Another one of uh, those Miramax from, from that roughly from that same ish period, a little bit earlier, is Marvin's Room. 
young Leonardo DiCaprio still uh, showing how amazing he could be when he's on screen with Meryl Streep and Diane Keaton and Robert De Niro. Look, I can hold my own with all of them. And, of course, reteaming with Robert De Niro in a movie for the first time since uh, This Boy's Life. What was it? The, the, what, this, boy's, this Boy's Life. This Boy's Life. Is that the well, De-, De Niro film? Yeah, that was his, his debut. Yeah. Yeah, with uh, De Niro like as the film. psychotic stepfather. Uh, you know what? DiCaprio is not bad in Marvin's Room, but, um, you know, I don't know. The movie's otherwise not that spectacular. It doesn't impress the hell out of me for any on any great level. Is it Jerry Zachs directed it? I don't even know who Jerry Zachs is. Uh, Music of the Heart, I actually kind of like. And you know what was weird about Music of the Heart? It's another Meryl Streep film. Um, this was directed by Wes Craven. It's not a horror film. That's bizarre. It's it's like this, this inspirational movie about, you know... Uh, educating kids in the inner city and, and music and how music, you know, and music programs enable you to, you know, thrive and, and find your inner self. It's all inspirational and, and like, stand by me. And I don't like Meryl Streep when she's too happy. I like yeah. Meryl Streep being, like, West depressed Craven. and, like, you know. Wait, Wes Craven. Oh, that is weird. What, what, you know, Angela Bassett's in this and uh, Gloria Estefan actually can kind of act. Uh, playing by Heart is a movie... Uh, this is the last of the Miramax Echo Bridge titles here. Um, did you ever see Playing by Heart? Uh, indeed I did. John Stewart, when no one knew who he was as an actor. Now <laughs> he's going to direct a movie. Now is yes, which is just bizarre. It's kind of weird, right? Um, Playing by Heart is an awesome movie, and I'm kind of amazed that it never took off more than it did. Um, this is I can't describe what it's about. It's it's a series of intertwined stories. Angelina Jolie is also in it. Sean Connery. Sean Connery. I mean, huge cast. Jenna Rollins, Dennis Quaid, Ryan Felipe, Ellen Burstyn. What happened you know. to Ryan Felipe, by the way? What happened to that guy? Uh, I, you know, that guy started an Oscar-winning Best Picture, and now he's gone. You know what? He uh, he, he uses a pseudonym. Uh, a Ryan mass- Gosling? You no, know, he uses a pseudonym whenever he buys burgers at uh, Carney's. I've told that story on the show before. Uh, he was in front of me at Carney's. Yeah. And, and he gives them his order, and they go, Steve. I'm like, really? Because if you say Ryan, they're going to go, oh, as in Ryan Felipe? Come on, just say Ryan. You're not that famous. Jeez, dude. <sighs> anyway, Carney's, great burgers, right? Yeah, they do. Great turkey so burgers. Fattening. Love those turkey burgers. The turkey burgers are lean, super lean. Yeah, but it's, really all, but it's all in oil and butter and bread and oh, cheese. It's so and good. Horrible. Anyway, so it, anyway, look, playing it, my heart. It, it, a fascinating film. The way these stories wind together. I think yeah, it's a I really smart script. No, I, agree. I uh, and I'm just shocked that it didn't sort of get more attention at the time. Well, and, you know what it is because like there's there's one story about these, this uh, kid dying of AIDS, and there's another story about these. This family approaching this couple approaching the, the way, planning anniversary. The it's way all it all the, the way it all kind of comes together yeah, is really smart, very well written, uh, and it's brisk for a movie that's just barely over two hours long. And fantastic photography for a character film, by the way, by Vilmos Zygmunt, who hasn't shot anything in ages. A uh, bunch of Warner Archive stuff. Uh, get through this real quickly here. We've got um, Dennis Morgan and Jane Wyman in Cheyenne. From Warner's. When was the last time you saw it referred to as Warner's as opposed to Warner Bros? I love that. See, that's Warner's. The thing is that it was always that they were always the they were always the Warner Brothers. Yes, they were never not. Yeah, but you know the story of that, right? It's not. It's not like the Warner Brothers were ever really involved with Warner Brothers beyond you know like 1933 or whatever. Jack Warner screwed his brothers over. I know. Well, Jack Warner said, didn't Jack Warner say he was not going to sell the company? They wound up selling the company. No. What, What? Here's what it was. Jack Warner. This is this is one of the great all time stories. Jack Warner, who my father knew, and he was, he was, he was an SOB, um, Jack Warner uh, said, you know what we should do? We should just – he got his, all his brothers together and he said, we should just put all our stock out on the open market and, and just make just ridiculous amounts of money because people will buy our stock at like a, a exponential. You know, we got all our stock in the company. Let's just put it out there. So he convinced his brothers to basically put up for sale their stock in Warner Brothers. Guess what he did? He sold the company. He turned around and bought his brother's shares. Oh, he bought his brother's shares. Yeah, he bought his brother's shares secretly. So he, he had like proxies who went out and bought the shares that his brothers were putting. He never put his shares up. He said, let's all put our shares up. That and then he it. didn't put his up. They put theirs up. And then he bought it out. And then he basically stole the company from his brothers. He conned them into selling the company to him at, at, at like a very small price. Oh. It's 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 a it's a notorious story. So anyway, that's a Raoul Walsh western. Uh, if you have any interest in Cheyenne with Dennis Morgan, who no one remembers anymore, and Jane Wyman, who of course is famous now for having divorced Ronald Reagan because she didn't think he was going to become anything. Uh, John Ford did a movie called The Rising of the Moon, uh, which they have a poll quote uh, on here from the original um, uh, marketing materials. 
unforgettably John Ford's finest film. Really? Because nobody remembers The Rising of the Moon anymore. Uh, but it's it's oh it's fine. It's uh, you know it's another one of those Ireland, Ireland movies. It's not at all like uh, The Quiet Man, but it's uh, it's it's perfectly fine. And you know John Ford made a lot of forgettable movies, and this is I wouldn't call this forgettable, but it's it's not brilliant. Uh, the monogram monogram cowboy collection volume five is uh, a whole bunch of movies with Johnny Mac Brown, who was one of those guys that did those programmers back in the day. These are nine movies on three discs for people who just can't get enough like cheesy westerns that are sort of all all about the same thing. Uh, you know, you got rustlers and, and cowboys and bad men and all, you know, the, the usual deal and guys left over from the Civil War who are making trouble. And it's all very, very, uh, it's more nostalgia than anything else. Um, George Sidney, another one of those workmanlike studio directors, made a movie called Key to the City, a romance with Clark Gable and Loretta Young, uh, which is, uh, again, also perfectly fine. Uh, it's, uh, you know, just a, another programmer from the era. It's, it's perfectly serviceable. Uh, much better is the Clark Gable Marion Davies movie, Polly of the Circus. I am always fascinated by Marion Davies movies just because Marion Davies was who she was. And, you know, I, any time I watch uh, Citizen Kane, I always I always think about Marion Davies. Because, well, you should. Well, you know, the William Hurst and all that stuff. She's just a sad, sad life, that lady. But um, I find her fascinating on the screen. And uh, I think she has amazing chemistry with Clark Gable. And uh, it's just, you know, the fact that this is, has so many other historical tentacles go into all these interesting directions. Um, you know, what was going on behind the scenes with the studios and with Marion Davies and with Clark Gable. It's, it's fascinating. So uh, I think it's a, historically it's a really interesting movie, especially if you do the research and kind of, you know, look a little bit into who was doing what with whom. Uh, Clark Gable also made a romance with Gene Tierney called Never Let Me Go. Never, directed by Delmer Daves. Delmer Daves directed uh, the original 310 to Yuma. That's right. He was another one of those uh, studio hacks who just, you know, you, you, he just knew how to make them. Couldn't, wasn't brilliant, but he was just very workmanlike. He was just very, very efficient. And this is based on a novel called Came the Dawn by Roger Bax, uh, which was a big deal at the time as well. Gene Tierney, much better than Clark Gable in this. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, it's a romance from the era. Lots of swooning music and... It, uh... And then The Falcon is a mystery movie collection. Uh, this is the second mystery movie collection. And uh, there are six films here uh, featuring the character of The Falcon. The Falcon Out West, The Falcon in Mexico, The Falcon in Hollywood, The Falcon in San Francisco, uh, The Falcon's Alibi, and The Falcon's Adventure. Tom Conway uh, played The Falcon. And uh, this was an RKO series that uh, is completely forgotten now. But, you know, this guy, uh, Tom Conway, not bad. Pretty interesting. Not a, he, 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 you know, they, they could resurrect this. They really could. They could get somebody like, they could get like a James Franco. I'm tired of James Franco. Go I away. I am too. I am too. That was Although, a joke. Although, did you hear that interview we did on Howard Stern? No. It was awesome. Nobody gets it, nobody gets it out of a celebrity like Howard Stern. Really? Yeah, just talk. Yeah, he got Franco to talk about uh, Anne Hathaway and oh. the Oscars oh. and why people hate Anne Hathaway. Oh, and, very nice. And how uh, there was a point where Franco actually could have slept with Lindsay Lohan, but he turned her down. No. Kidding. Oh yeah, this is a wow. few years ago. And before we get into the uh, the music stuff, they're just going to wrap things up. Um, Richard Bartholomus in the Dawn Patrol, also starring Douglas Fairbanks Jr. and Neil Hamilton. This is uh, this is really an interesting little uh, chunk of uh, movie history. First National Pictures made the film, and their library has since fallen into the hands of Warner Brothers. Hence, the reason why this is a, a Warner Archives release, and you have to go to uh, WarnerArchive.com. Warner Archive uh, singular. Uh, this is a Howard Hawks film. That takes place during World War One, and it's not your typical World War One movie. It uh, it's it's actually surprisingly anti-war and anti-violent for a Howard Hawks movie, especially a Howard Hawks movie made uh, you know in 1930, just as as war is about to break loose all over again. Uh, and it's an early talkie, and um, it's actually pretty damn well done. I mean, it's uh, it's got some amazing aerial photography, not as amazing as Wings. Um, but it's based on a story by the same guy who wrote Wings, so there are some similarities, but uh, by, by and large, I think it's definitely worth checking out. And the fact that Douglas Fairbanks Jr. is in it, um, not Douglas Fairbanks Sr., but Douglas Fairbanks Jr., who looks a lot like his dad, he just doesn't have the athletic prowess, um, makes it uh, also very, very interesting. All right, Mark, let's, um, 
let's dig into some of this music poop here and just to uh, terminate things here. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's more, yeah, you're, that's more your speed. There you go. Oh, Wade, you just love Beethoven. I do. Do you really? Who, who, who's your favorite uh, uh, classical composer? My favorite classical composer? Yes. You know, um, that's a good question. And I, I, I constantly come back to Beethoven, even though I am very, very partial to uh, Edvard Grieg and uh, Sergei Rachmaninoff. But I, I keep coming back to Beethoven because he was just he was just such a such a such a tragic madman and you know there's just so much drama. Like when I listen to Beethoven, I can listen to a, and I, there's a lot of classical I love, a lot of classical I don't care so much for. But when I listen to Beethoven, I feel the personality of the man. I feel his emotions, and I don't get that with a lot of other composers. And you don't even say Mozart because you love Amadeus so much. I can't stand Amadeus. I really can't. Really? I respect the movie, but I just... Uh, Tom Hulse... Did you like that movie? I, I, you know what? There are things about it that I like, but I just hate Tom Hulse's performance. I hate it so much. I just hate it so much. He's so wrong in that movie. Never should have been there. Really? Tom Hulse? No, Tom Hulse ruins well, the movie we, for Well, you me. know why? Because you, you remember him from uh, Animal House. Yeah, but also he, he's the only American in that... Well, F. Murray Abraham's American, but he's the only guy in the cast who's not sort of playing style. You know, he's not he's not making any attempt to sort of be... He's just playing like a goofball. Mozart wasn't like that. Mozart wasn't some, like, giggling, farting, goofball, maniac, crazy sex nerd. He wasn't. He was a genius. Uh, exactly. Speaking of geniuses, Miles, da- uh, Miles Davis uh, is on Blu-ray this week. Miles Davis with Quincy Jones and the Gil Evans Orchestra. Uh, this is part of the Live at Montreux collection. This is in 1991, actually only a few months before Miles Davis died. So uh, this is definitely one for history. It's also in color, which I like, as Miles obviously, uh, you know, he, he died in uh, 91. And, uh, you know, there's not a lot of color performances from him. So this is good stuff. Blues for Pablo, Miles Ahead, uh, The Duke, Pan Piper, Summertime. is great. Here Come the Honey Man this is a good one. Uh, this is all great stuff live at Montreux. Uh, the Montreux Jazz Festival Blu-ray uh, series has just given us some great music, and this is kind of one of the best because we love Miles Davis. I like Miles. Because he like uh, him a lot. He was a cokehead. Anyway, go. Was he really? Well, he he was an everything head. All right. Miles Davis. A lot of a uh, lot of great classical stuff on Blu-ray uh, coming to us from Naxos, and Naxos is kind of a clearinghouse for a lot of other uh, classical Blu-ray and DVD uh, libraries. Uh, most of a lot of this stuff is opera. And I'll just kind of go through it real quickly. Uh, Turandot, which is uh, the amazing Puccini opera. This is a fantastic staging of it from uh, Opera Australia. Really, really just amazing design. And I've seen a a lot of great versions of this, uh, including the one directed by uh, Zhang Yimao. You know, he did a version. And uh, this is just great. Uh, The the Australians have just such a, such a, just, like an, it's both avant-garde and classical at the same time. And I don't know how they do that, but that's really just uh, terrific. And then Rossini's Adelaide de Borgogna, which I'm trying not to mutilate. Uh, this is from Art House Music. This is from the Rossini Opera Festival, and uh, it's great. It's great. This is, of course, done in Italy at the Teatro Comunale di Bologna. This is the orchestra and chorus from Bologna. And uh, I, didn't, I never knew that Bologna was, I guess, every single, I guess you go to a town of 20 people in Italy, and they can put on world-class opera. I mean, I know Bologna is like a major city, but it's not like, you know, Rome or, or Milan or Venice, right? It's, it's Bologna. But, man, they really nail this. And I was not familiar with this. So this is, uh, you know, Rossini, always good for, uh, always good for a laugh. Um, Bruckner is kind of like the wannabe Beethoven, uh, somewhere between Mahler and Beethoven. A lot of people love Bruckner. These are the Mature Symphonies, uh, directed by Baron Boim and the Staatskapelle Berlin. Uh, this is also on Blu-ray. And uh, this is Bruckner's Symphony Number no. Four in E flat major, the Romantic, which means it's uh, it's romantic and loud and bombastic, like everything else that Bruckner did. I'm not a huge Bruckner fan, but I know a lot of people are. E flat major is my favorite key, Wade. Of you course, why? Yes, because E flat major has um, don't make don't mock B my flat, name. E flat, E flat, and A flat. So there's three flats in E flat major. Don't be mocking my name. And. Um, there you go. Yeah. Uh, a couple from Verdi, uh, Verdi's Macbeth, which, which really compares quite favorably to Shakespeare's Macbeth. It's, a, it's an interesting comparison between the two. Verdi's Macbeth and uh, Verdi's Il Masnadieri. Il Masnadieri, Kaiser. Gesundheit. Uh, these are both part of the 200th anniversary of uh, Verdi celebration, part of the Tutto Verdi Complete Operas Collection. And uh, just wonderful stuff. Really, really good. Um, 
The uh, Macbeth is performed by the Orchestro y Coro del Teatro Reggio di Parma. In other words, the you know the the, the house band at Parma. And um, the Il Masnier da Dieri is from the Orchestro y Coro del Teatro de San Carlo, from San Carlo. I don't even know where San Carlo is. Like I said, probably 20 people in a village somewhere, and they're putting on world-class opera. That's how it goes. Both of these, really, really good. Don't quite understand the stories um, in uh, Il Masnier Dieri. Macbeth, obviously, you know, I, I, can, I don't even have to read the, you know, the titles. I, I know what's going on. But Il Masnier Dieri, I, I don't even know what's going on and still loved it. And then, uh, really quickly wrap things out, uh, Beethoven Symphonies on three DVDs by uh, Michael Galen. Uh, any, anytime you can get Beethoven Symphonies all together on DVDs, on CD, on Blu-ray, uh, it's always a, a total treat. And it seems like every world-class artist who does these symphonies ha- does them in a slightly different way. And they're always amazing, and they're always wonderful. And uh, then, let's see, lastly, we've got... Uh, let's see. You know what? We'll wrap up with this one. Uh, Simon Rattle does the. Uh, this is a, this is a very strange. I mentioned Mahler earlier as a uh, you know in that class with Bruckner and Beethoven of guys who are a little bit bombastic. Um, this is M- Rachmaninoff and Mahler together. The Symphonic Dances, Opus 45 by Rachmaninoff, and then the Symphony Number no. One, the Titan in D Major by Mahler, which is just. It, Titan is almost an understatement. Love D major is my favorite. You know why? Because D major has F sharp and C sharp. Thank you. Well, Simon Rattle directs this uh, for the uh, or conducts this for the Berlin Philharmonic in 3D. This was done in Singapore, and um, I got to tell you, I don't get it. I don't understand why why 3D. It, it was. It just doesn't make any sense to me. But uh, there it is. So you know. It's 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 3D orchestra. I just don't understand the point of it. But clearly, that somebody thought we'd, we'd try this 3D thing at home and we'd try it on a classical title and see if it has any appeal. But I have a feeling that the people who buy classical titles really just don't don't give a damn. Uh, so anyway, there we go. All right, Mark, we are we are done. Uh, we'll, we're done. We're done. So we'll uh, we'll wrap it up there and uh, come on back next week. There are some very interesting things in the works as far as uh, home video news, technology, really? and stuff. Yeah, I'm monitoring a few of those things. So we'll um, and there's Lincoln next week. Yes, Lincoln next week. We're going to talk about Lincoln next week. All right, folks. See you next week.